0: You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Turn into Hosea chapter 1. We're not going to read right now. I'm going to give you a little bit of an introduction first. Um, As Pastor alluded to, this uh, message is about leadership. And um, and I want to say that everyone here today is a leader in this church, okay? Right. Uh, maybe not the leader of the church, that's pastor, but we're leaders in the church. Right. Yeah. And I'm going to borrow the definition of leadership from pastor, and he said that leadership is just influence. Yeah. And he's right, because uh-huh. we all have influence. Right. Yeah. Um, and if I can take the example of the family to help you understand that you're all leaders, I'm going to do that. So fathers, of course, you are leaders of your house, and so you have influence to your family. Uh, but wives, you're also leaders because you have influence in your family. Right, yes. All right? And, and children, kids, youth, young people, your influence is your family as well. Yes. I'm going to tell you something that parents may not want you to know, so <laughs> Arabelle, at <in> earmuffs. muffs. Yeah. <laughs> what you do influences your parents. Okay? Yeah. Your actions—they'll change the way your parents act and behave. So you have influence, yeah. and what that means is that influence doesn't just go down; it also goes up. So wives, you have influence over your husbands, and I don't need to tell you that—you <laughs> are really good at that. I don't know who taught you. All right, but influence goes down, it goes up, and also goes around. So your influence extends to your friends and your peers. Yes. All right, your, your school, your classmates, your coworkers, your neighbors. People you don't have authority over, but you could influence, and now that's leadership. All right, I know a lot of you might be thinking, or at least some of you, uh, that term leadership might give you anxiety or apprehension because you're not used to becoming a leader or you're not prepared for it. And I want to help alleviate some of that uh, apprehension and and uh, and um, uh, you know worry right now by telling you a very simple fact: even the best leader in here has failed at one time. Every single one of us has seen and experienced that required leadership and failed to provide that leadership. That's right. All right? Because leadership is a spiritual gift. Now, it might not be your primary spiritual gift. Uh, Perhaps it's, you know, long down the list of of gifts that God has given you. But all the spiritual gifts are good and to be used. They're all tools in our toolbox. We should maybe reach a little farther and grab that spiritual gift of leadership sometimes because there's going to be situations in your life where you need to provide that leadership. Yes. And I don't want you to get to that position and fail at leading because of it. Right. The, the cost of missed leadership opportunities is so great. All the souls that could be saved but aren't because people didn't lead right. at the time and the place they should have led. Yeah, good. Yes, sir. So let's, uh, let's get into perhaps some leadership here. And uh, we're in Hosea, uh, Hosea, so please if you would rise for the reading of, of God's word. Uh, you won't stand long, it's just one verse. Uh, chapter 1, verse 7. And the Bible says, But I will have mercy upon the house of Judah, and I will have them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by bow, nor by sword, nor by battle, by horses, nor by horsemen. It's a great verse. Amen. Yeah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you uh, for tonight. I thank you for the opportunity, Lord, it is humbling um, and I pray, Lord, that you would speak uh, not through me, Lord, but instead of me. And and I can't do all the application that I need to tonight, Lord. And I pray that you would apply these words uh, to everyone's heart as you see fit, Lord. Right. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. May I be seated. Thank you. <clears throat> this is a great verse because in this verse, God tells us that He's going to save the nation of Judah, and He tells us how He's going to do it. And He made a list for us, and I love lists. Yeah. So He made a list. And on one side, it's a two-column list. On one side, it's things that are spiritual, things you found in heaven. And on the other side of the list is things that are physical, things found on earth. And he lists them down. And he says, I'm going to save the nation of Judah by nothing physical, only by things that are spiritual. Right. All right? Yeah. So the recipe for God to save Judah is one part spiritual and zero parts physical. Amen. All right? Amen. If I can say that a different way is that God requires no physical assets to do his will. Okay? So God doesn't need us. Now, he wants to use us in his will because he acknowledges that using us helps us to grow spiritually. All right? This is a classic example of parents think back to when you had your young kids or kids think back to when you were younger, if you don't have uh, kids of your own. And maybe, maybe moms, you... You had your daughter or your son or whatever, your kid, uh, wash the dishes with you, right? Yes. All right? And, and uh, they would wash and you would probably, you would dry, but really you'd rewash, right? Yeah, and then, you, then right. you'd dry and put them away. Or dads, maybe you were out there showing your kid how to change a tire or change the oil in your car. Yeah. You had your kids with you and they were doing the job uh, that you asked them to do, but you didn't need them, did you? No. Yeah. Quite frankly, it had been faster and easier if you'd done the job yourself. But you need them to grow. The same thing here is true for God. God wants us to grow, and so he doesn't need us for his will, but he wants to use us. Yes. So the first idea to ease your mind when it comes to leadership is that God doesn't need you. He just wants you. Amen. Regardless of how, you know, regardless of your leadership, he's going to get the job done. Yeah. Right. All right, that's the first idea. The second idea comes from the book of Acts. You don't have to turn there. Uh, but Acts chapter 9, that's the story of Paul's conversion. You're all familiar with it, I assume. And uh, so uh, in that story, God uh, speaks to Ananias, and he tells Ananias to go uh, find a man named Paul who's where he's staying, and Ananias uh, protests. He says, God, I know what Paul has done for, uh, against you and against your followers, but God retorts that, and he says in verse 15, uh, he tells him to go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. So the second idea is that we are simply vessels. Yes. Alright? When I was in the army, I was stationed in Alaska. Uh, and I was in a leadership school at the time. It was November, it was Alaska, it was cold. And we were out in the field doing maneuvers. And on day one of the maneuvers, the canteens that you wear on your hips, they froze. The water froze solid. So for the whole day of maneuvers, I had no water to drink. And we got back that night, uh, and I was thirsty, but there was no water. So in the tent, I put, we all put our canteens next to the, the heater, in the, the stove, to thaw them. And the instructor told us, you can't do that, you're going to melt the plastic canteen. And we protested, we were like, no, it's going to be okay. Uh, but they said, no, you can't do that, so we had to listen. We had to put the canteens on the other side of the tent. And we woke up in the morning, and, uh, well, the plastic hadn't melted, but now they had the ice inside of it. So I had to go out on maneuvers for a second day with no water. And at the end of the second day of maneuvers, uh, I, was, I was exhibiting all the classic signs of dehydration, as you can imagine. Right, I had a headache, I was dizzy, I was nauseated, I was weak. Uh, and we got back that second day and they had hot chow for us, which is always a blessing in the army. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't care about the food because I, I'm, I I'm too sick to eat. But I care about the water they're going to have at the end of the chow line. And I got to the end of the chow line and there's no water there. But they had Gatorade. Or fruit punch, something like that. Those of you who know me know I hate Gatorade. Despise it. It's gross. But you know what I did? I drank the Gatorade. I sipped the Gatorade, because I couldn't drink so fast I would I would I was so sick. So I had to taste every drop of that disgusting Gatorade. The Gatorade was a vessel to bring hydration to my body. And I drank it anyway, even though I hated the vessel. The love of what the vessel brings outshines the hatred for the vessel. That's good. Alright? So you, in your job as, as leader, is is being a vessel. And it doesn't matter if people like you or not, they're gonna love what you bring them. Mm. Alright? We are not what's important. It's what we bring that's important. Alright? Yeah, right. uh, we're not the medicine, we're just the medicine bottle. All right? Our job isn't to fix the person. Our job is to simply bring the medicine to the patient. Mm-hmm. This should ease us and our burden for leadership because um, we, we, all we need to do is set the conditions for God to work through us. The job of a leader is simply to get what you're responsible for into a position so it can do its job. Amen. That's the whole job of a leader. So those two ideas hopefully... Ease the apprehension that leadership brings. Yeah. Now, those are kind of out, um, you know, more heady things. I'd like to bring some, um, some, some practical tips for leadership. And so uh, I've, I've got a list here. And so the first trait of a leadership, and they'll be on the board. We can all see them. Good leaders are good followers. Amen. Yeah. All right? So you're all leaders in this church. We've established that. Uh, but we still have followers. But we still have to follow. We have to follow, of course, uh, Christ. He's the head of the church. Right. But the church has leaders in and of itself. We need to follow pastor. Pastor Jett, Pastor Hardy. And if you're in a, uh, like a Sunday school classroom, then you need to follow your Sunday school teacher because they're your leader for that situation. Amen. Yeah. All right? right, Following is a key part of leading. It's called the chain of command because there are all links. But if one link doesn't follow the link above it, that chain is broken and it becomes useless. Yeah, so. um, part of being a good follower is supporting your leaders. Uh-huh. So we need to support in this church. We need to support pastor, and I think we do a pretty good job of that. Amen. Um, but we also need to support our other leaders. So your Sunday school teacher, you need to support them. And it goes beyond the boundaries of this church. In any leader-follower relationship, right. there needs to be, uh, needs to be support. So husbands, you need to lead your wives, but wives, you need to support your husbands. Right, yes. This is the same thing Chad was talking about with love and respect. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, kids, youth, you need to support your parents. And I know that sounds backward because their job is to support you. That's what I've been told. <laughs> right, right. But you need to support your parents in their leadership. Amen. Yeah. Yes. Amen. It, 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 if only for purely uh, selfish reasons, because if you support them, they're going to be better leaders. And better leaders make better parents. And better parents make better kids. Yeah, right. So in order to be a better person, support your, fa- your family and your parents in leading them, Amen. and it'll make you a better person. That's good. Uh, the second trait is that leaders take ownership. Amen. Uh, the army has a very clear and concise definition of the responsibilities of a commander. And a commander, of course, is just a leader of a unit. So what the army tells us a leader needs to do It says this, uh, Commanders are responsible for everything their unit does or fails to do. I'm going to read that one more time because it's pretty good, even for the army. (laughs) Commanders are responsible for everything their unit does or fails to do. We're leaders in this church. We're responsible for everything this church does or fails to do. All the ministries this church has or doesn't have, are because of us. If there's blame to go around, we need to take the blame. Yeah. Because being ownership means you take responsibility, and taking responsibility means you accept the blame when there are problems. Right. Right. That's it. All right. Now, there are problems in this church. I'm not talking about great scandal, you know, giant scandals this church has. But this church has a problem. I can think of one. We have a leaking roof. Yeah. That's a problem in this church. Who's taking the blame for that? See, leaders don't get to blame somebody else. They don't get to say, uh, well, the shingles well, should have lasted longer. Or, well, it was the roofers They put the shingles on wrong. No, the leader takes the responsibility. So we have ba- we have a leaky roof. Who's to blame? Well, we are. We got buses out in the parking lot that are getting vandalized. They're getting their catalytic converter stolen. Are we going to blame the criminal for that? Are we blaming the market that Pay so much money for whatever metal's in there? No. We're responsible. We're to blame. We're supposed to protect what God has given us for His work. In a few weeks or at the end of the year, whatever it is, we're going to have the janitor, he's going to leave us, and it's going to be up to us to clean this place. And, and shortly after that time comes, you're going to walk into the church and you're going to see something wrong, a problem. Might be some dirt on the carpets or some trash left in the garbage can might be the windows are, are, are messy or the, or, the, or the toilets haven't been cleaned. Who's to blame? We are. You are. And I talk about blame because I want you to know one key fact about blame. When you accept the blame, you start fixing the problem. Alright? And this happens in church, as I've said before, but it can happen in relationships as well. Dads, when there's a problem in your family... Who's to blame? Mm-hmm. I am, right? It's my family. There's a problem in my family, I'm the blame. I need to fix it. Yeah, it's good. But it happens in any relationship. If there's a problem between you and somebody else, there's a problem in that relationship, who's to blame? You are. Take the blame and start fixing it. Mm-hmm. That's responsibility leadership has to take. And when I say problems, I don't mean always big problems. Sometimes. It's just areas we need to work on, right? We need to, we're trying to do everything the best we can, and if there's an area we're not so good at, it's an area we should work on, right? That's a problem area. And, and the same idea holds true. Is there a problem between you and your relationship with God? Who's to blame? It's not God. It's you. Right? Maybe it's a problem with just yourself, and you have some inner problem, right? Who's to blame? It's you. Leaders take responsibility. That's what ownership means. Ownership also means, uh, well it implies, a steadfastness or a permanence. And what this means is that you're not going to take on a leadership opportunity in haste. You're first going to think about it. Don't just jump to the gun and realize you can't fulfill it. Ownerships act responsible. And more importantly, ownership means that you're not going to stop your leadership role when things become inconvenient. Yeah, amen. All right? Yeah, because when the novelty wears off, that's when the true leaders emerge. Everybody else falls apart. Yeah, that's right. Pretty soon, we're going to start up a bus ministry in this church, or restart a bus ministry in this church. And there's excitement for the bus ministry, and I love that. And when it starts up, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people wanting to help in the bus ministry, and that's great. But there'll come a point when the bus ministry... Loses its novelty. Right. And the numbers of people participating are going to fall off. Yeah. Don't let that happen. Because right. let me give you a little clue on this. If your leadership only lasts as long as the novelty lasts, it isn't leadership. It's a distraction. Yeah. All right? That's good. That's good. All you're going to get in there and just distract people who are actually doing their job in the bus ministry, and then you're going to leave, and they're going to have to pick up the mess behind you. So ownership means that it takes time. It's permanence. So youth, as you begin taking on ministries in this church, because you're, you know, you're old enough now, you can join the choir, you can go to ladies' meetings or men's retreats, or you can work in the nursery or, or the kitchen or wherever else you're working, as you take on these ministries, for one, make sure that you can take them on, that you can do the job. You don't take it on in haste. Yeah. And also make sure that you don't quit when things are no longer fun. Because you're hurting the ministry by doing that. That's good. All right, this is for marriages as well. You heard of the honeymoon period? Well, that's the novelty period. Yes. When the honeymoon period's over, the novelty wears off. If there's not good leadership in place, that leadership's going to fall off as well. Yeah. And then you got two people; they're just kind of adrift. It's no wonder that out in the world, divorce is so rampant. Right. They lack good leadership in their marriage, yeah. and this isn't pointed at just the husbands, by the way. You need to lead; that's true. But wives, you influence your husbands. You have leadership roles as well. Yes, amen. All right, this works. It works, works both ways. <clears throat> so leaders have ownership. Uh, the next trait is leaders lead by example. Amen. What I mean by this is re- what I mean by this is leaders do what is right at all times, mm-hmm, right. even when no one's looking, yeah. and that's a tough sell, right? Amen. You're going to come to a complete stop at, at 10 o'clock at night when you're tired. You want to go home. <laughs> yeah. you know, maybe, right. maybe you roll through that one. Well, that's not right. So it's tough when it comes to, to these physical things that no one's seeing, but it's even more tough when it comes to spiritual things who by their very nature are unseeable. That's right. So your thoughts, your feelings, your attitudes, your attitudes toward yourself and toward others, you need to make sure that you're doing the right thing when it comes to those things. Amen. Because even though they're not seeable, they seep out of you. They, they, they come out and other people perceive them. People you're trying to influence will perceive your thoughts and your feelings and your attitudes. Mm -hmm. And you can profess to be a Christian all day long, but if your inner feelings aren't there, people will know it. And it will affect your leadership ability for them. Doing what is right also means that we don't do what is wrong. Abraham Lincoln told us that to sin by silence when they should protest makes cowards of men. So we get so wrapped up in doing the right thing, we sometimes forget that we should need to stop the wrong thing as well. And so what does this mean? Well, this means that leaders don't let bad things happen. They don't let gossip happen behind people's backs, right? Or the name-calling or the backstabbing. They don't let bullying happen in the youth group, whether it's online or in person. All the bad things that people can do it's easy for us not to pay attention to those things. all right. But the sins of commission aren't any, worse, aren't any better or worse than the sins of omission. Yeah, right. And we need to be here and stop the wrong things. That's what good leaders do. Amen. Leading by example also means answering the call. Amen. Matthew chapter 9 verse 37 says, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Yes. If you're leading by example, that means you're doing what you want others to do. Yes, right. All right. I'm not saying you need to go become a missionary, but like we talked about earlier, you got to have a willing heart. Yes. All right. You sitting in here with a willing heart is of more use to God than a missionary out there serving out of mere obligation. Right. Amen. All right. So have a willing heart and be prepared and be willing to do what God calls you to do. Yes. That's doing the right thing. Uh, the next leadership trait is leaders do what needs to be done. Amen. So a great example of leadership in the Bible is the centurion. The story of the centurion, he found Jesus and his, his servant was sick and he asked Jesus to save his servant. And that's a great story. Because the centurion is an obvious leader, right? He's a leader of, of hundreds of soldiers. And he didn't think it was below him to walk whatever distance it took to find Jesus for the sake of his servant. Are you willing to walk whatever distance it takes to find Jesus for the sake of blank? Amen. Whatever your mission is, whatever your leadership role is. Is it family? Is it coworkers? Is it the nursery? Is it witnessing? Are you willing to walk whatever distance it is to get that done? Because if you, if a leader is not willing to do it, who is? The only way that centurion could save his servant was to make that journey, and so he made that journey. He didn't waste time looking for someone else to go in his stead. He didn't sit there and bemoan the facts of the case, that, oh, my servant is here and he's dying and Jesus is way over there. If only Jesus was here, he could fix my servant. He he didn't do that. He went and fixed the situation. He did what needed to be done. The barriers that are in place between where you are now ...and serving the Lord, they're not insurmountable, they're just inconvenient. Sometimes we get too comfortable in our first world lives, that little inconvenience is enough to stop our work for the Lord. Uh But leaders can't let that happen. They need to do what is done. And you might say, well, what I do isn't that important, it's a small job. It's, It's insignificant. Well, it doesn't say up there that leaders do what needs to be done for the big jobs... It says leaders do what needs to be done, period. Yeah. Yeah. In the Army, uh, you're always changing jobs. Every year, you'll rotate out to a different job, whether you want to or not. Whether you're good at it or not, it doesn't matter. You're going to rotate out. And so there, an attitude develops because you might go to a job you like and then go to a job you don't like and you're not good at. And the attitude, at the attitude is that, well, it doesn't matter about this job. It's not important. I'll wait for the next job that is important to come around. But in the Army's Wisdom, there's a saying, and it's a good saying. The most important job in the Army is the job you're doing right now. Mm, All right? And that applies to church as well. The most important job in this church is the job you're doing right now. So some examples. The most important job in the church right now is me up here talking to you. Mm. But a couple days ago on Sunday, the most important job in this church was me sitting up there making sure the live stream was working. The most important job in this church is Jessica interpreting to one man over there. Uh, yeah. The most important job in this church is you sitting in the pew, hearing the word, and applying it to your life. Amen. Right. Yeah. I see people who the only ministry I'm aware that they are in is that they bring people to church and then bring them back to, from church afterwards. Yeah. That's all they do. Yeah. Well, the most important job in this church is them doing that. Amen. Right. Yeah. So do what needs to be done. Uh, the last leadership trait is eaters, leaders eat last. Now that's not a fun one because if you're a leader, uh, you're probably hungry. Yeah. And you want to eat first. But what it's getting at here is that you put the welfare of others before your own. Right. Amen. So fathers, put the welfare of your family before your own. Yeah, Wives, put the welfare of your kids before your own. Youth, put the welfare of your friends before your own. All right? And what this means is putting the welfare first, it's sacrifice. This is where sacrifice comes into play for leadership. Because leadership isn't all just sitting on a high throne, getting paid more, and telling people what to do. It requires sacrifice. So, what are you willing to sacrifice for leadership? Is it money? Because you'll sacrifice money, energy, time? Is it pride? Pride's a big one. Pride always gets in the way. As leaders, you'll need to constantly sacrifice your pride to get the job done, because we're humans. We don't want to follow somebody who thinks they're better than we are. OK? And if your job is to get someone to influence somebody, the best thing you can do is not be prideful. Yeah. That's good. So I'm going to sum this up now with two examples. You see, these, this list is kind of list, uh, in this order for a reason. I mean, sugar sure, to checklists, and checklists are helpful, so I like it for that reason. But also, you can't complete your mission, nor can you even complete a single item on this list without first doing the item above it. So here's an example of someone doing this correctly, and it's King David. If it's, if it's in 1 Chronicles 22, and King David... He wanted to build the Lord a temple. And God said, no. It's not your job. We want your son to do it. So David, he was a leader, but he knew that he also had to be a good follower. And so he changed his mission. He said, that's great. My new mission now is to make sure that everything is ready. All supplies are at hand so that my son can build the temple. And if you read later on in that verse, verse 14, he was successful. God blessed there was, I'm rounding here, so don't get mad at the numbers, but there was, there was 4,000 tons of gold and 40,000 tons of silver. That's a lot of gold and silver. The Lord, to- for one building, that, the Lord blessed. But I know that if David had not been a good follower, and if instead told God, I know you told me no, but I'm going to build it anyway, that the Lord would not have blessed him like that. And David would have spent the rest of his days fighting God to build a temple that God didn't want him to build, only for Solomon to come up after him and have to do more work and get all the materials that David should have gotten ready for himself before he could build it. Mm -hmm. So doing these in the right order is important. Now, I'll give you an example of where uh, they did it in the wrong order. And this is kind of a silly example, but I think it, it makes the point well. We're in the season now where you're going to go into stores and you're going to see the guys dressed as Santa ringing the bells next to those red kettles. And they're asking for money. So I don't know if you do or not, but I sometimes walk by and I give them money and it makes me feel good because I, I helped somebody out, I assume. Yeah. I have no idea where that money goes. I, I, I believe there's Salvation Army, but again, I don't know what the Salvation Army even does. I'm just, I don't know. What they're asking me to do is skip to the bottom, which is sacrifice. They ask sacrifice of money. Now, that's an easy sacrifice. Everyone asks for money, and it's an easy sacrifice to give. makes people think they're getting involved. They're being leaders in that area by giving. Yeah. But they're not. If the Salvation Army would take all those donors in society and make them instead take ownership of whatever the Salvation Army mission, mission is, mm. they would have no need for money because they would have all the ownership and all the supplies they could have asked for. Huh, good. If you try and skip to the sacrificing part and just give money, because again, giving money is easy, and you skip over the part where it says lead by example, then it's not going to be a, as big a blessing. Right. We just came from a missions uh, revival. Leading by example is being willing to answer the call. All the offerings and faith promises that we collect don't mean anything if there's no missionary to send them to. We need to be willing. We need to do these steps in order. That's what good leadership does. So, I didn't want to make anyone mad at this message, but I did want to make you a little uncomfortable. And I kind of wanted to to maybe stir you into action. Because leadership is action. There's no leadership found in action. So, as leaders, we need to be in action, working for the Lord in his harvest. That's what God would have us do. Uh, well, let's stand, let's go to prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you, Lord. And I, I thank you for the leaders we have here who are natural leaders. And I also thank you, Lord, for the people who are, are, are striving to become better leaders. Because as long as we're striving to become better leaders for you, Lord, You're going to bless in that scenario. I pray that these words were helpful to somebody and that it touched their hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.